Want to learn how to leverage your marketing to get clients on repeat? Charge a fee that leaves you with money in your pocket even after you've finished paying your bills? And finally, stop working with the clients that you've long outgrown? Liberated Business is a transformational program that combines group and one-on-one work so you get the best results possible. This differs from every other program out there because it helps you make money while supporting your joy and liberation throughout your entrepreneurial journey. Liberated Business starts this June and runs through November, and enrollment is open now. Visit thebadtherapist.coach liberatedbusiness to get all of the details and sign up. DM me on Instagram at thebadtherapist with any questions or to learn more. I cannot wait to get started with you. Most clients aren't actually checking to see if we're licensed. In some cases, they will. But at the end of the day, they're usually way more concerned with, can you actually help me with my problem? Are you the right person for me? Do I like your vibe? Do your policies and practices and fee and availability line up with what I want? They're very rarely actually checking to see if we're licensed or if we uh, where we went to school or how many dozens of trainings that we have. They are really mostly looking to see, can you help me? Hey there, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show, the podcast for current and aspiring private practice therapists who want to earn more money, work less, and have a way bigger impact. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist, former goody-goody therapist turned six-figure private practice owner and therapist business coach. I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know about private practice and expanding beyond the one-to-one model so you can earn more money and increase your impact as a therapist without burning out or hustling. Using my proven liberated business method, therapists at all stages of business have been able to grow their income while becoming even better therapists. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. It's time for you to get your time back and enjoy being a therapist again. You ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist. Today, we're talking about five concrete things that you can do before you get licensed to help you hit the ground running once you actually do get to put that L in front of your name. In this episode, we're going to talk about why getting licensed doesn't actually change as much as you would think plus what you can do now to make your post-licensure fantasy your pre-licensed reality. As a pre-licensed therapist, there are a lot of things you can start doing to set yourself up to be a private practice therapy owner. Licensed therapist, you're going to want to do these things too, so keep on listening. Let's get into it. Okay, so first I want to go over what actually changes once you do get licensed, because I hear a lot of therapists talking about post-licensure life as if it's some magical, heavenly place where all of these problems you have right now suddenly disappear. And I really just want to break down what actually changes and what doesn't. Of course, there are perks to being licensed and more options on the table, but that doesn't mean you can't start making some of the changes that you want right now. So one of the things that will change when you get licensed is you get to put that L in front of your credentials. You go from being, say, a marriage and family therapist to a licensed marriage and family therapist or a social worker to a licensed social worker. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, especially in private practice, that your clients are essentially noticing that difference. Like 
unless you're actually planning to go work at an agency, you being licensed or not doesn't actually make a huge difference in terms of your hireability. Most clients aren't actually checking to see if we're licensed. In some cases, they will, but at the end of the day, they're usually way more concerned with, can you actually help me with my problem? Are you the right person for me? Do I like your vibe? Do your policies and practices and fee and availability line up with what I want? They're very rarely actually checking to see if we're licensed or if we, uh, where we went to school or how many dozens of trainings that we have. They are really mostly looking to see, can you help me? But that is a nice thing. You get the L in front of your credentials and that's really sweet. The other thing you can do once you get licensed is you can start your own business. So for instance, I'm a marriage and family therapist here in California. As an associate marriage and family therapist, I was not allowed to just go out and start my own business. I had to work under somebody else. I had to get supervision. And not only that, I had to be essentially working in an agency or for another group or in a private practice. Um, I couldn't just go out and set up my own business. Now, There are some states and there are some license types that even allow you to start your business before you actually become licensed. I know this is the case for some therapists in Oregon, which is really cool. So for all of us therapists, once you become licensed, you do have the ability to start your very own business immediately. But that's not even completely exclusive. Like I said, there are some states and some license types in which you can actually start your own business before you get licensed. You still, of course, have to pay for supervision, but there's nothing prohibiting you from actually starting your own business. And that takes me to the other thing that will change once you're licensed, which is you no longer have to pay for supervision. But many therapists continue to pay for supervision, or I should say consultation in that case, or they might decide to start paying for additional trainings. And on top of it, there are a lot of other business expenses that are going to begin once you become licensed. Like you may start to devote some more money to marketing, or you might hire a business coach, or you might be paying for rent for an office or whatever. Like your business is going to need you to invest in it financially. So even if one cost is going away, um, it isn't to say that there won't be other costs that are showing up. I'm not saying that you can't run a really lean business. You of course can, but I think that oftentimes when therapists are talking about making more money in their businesses, and they're really talking about that from the perspective of, well, I'll get to keep my whole fee. I won't be sharing that with anybody anymore, or I'll just stop paying for supervision. It's coming from this mentality of I'll just cut my costs so much that I'll start making more money. And the truth is, is that can only get you so far. You can basically only cut your costs so much in order to keep more money. And at a certain point, the lever you're going to need to pull is to actually figure out how to earn more money. So I'm not here telling you that like you should just expect to spend buku amounts of money in your business. Like you don't have to do that. But I I think that that can be like a really deceptive way to be orienting because at a certain point you will actually need to turn your attention towards how to make more money. And sometimes that is going to mean spending some money first, like hiring a business coach or hiring someone to help you with marketing or hiring someone as a VA. So that is, again, something that will change. You won't have to pay for supervision anymore. You will potentially work in an environment, say your own business, where you are not splitting your fee with somebody else like you might in a group practice. Uh, So those things will change, but you are likely going to have other costs that are coming up. 
And to be honest, those are really all of the changes that I can think of. I mean, I'm sure there are some I'm not thinking of, and I would love for you to tell me if I've missed some. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if after this, like, I think of something and I'm like, oh my God, of course, that's such a huge difference. But those are really the ones that I can think of right now. There's nothing about getting licensed that magically makes you more attractive to clients, especially in a private practice setting, like not generally. I haven't seen that have a huge impact on my business or in the businesses that I've helped other therapists build. Like that doesn't seem to be a big factor. Once again, it's so much more important to answer the question, can you help me with this problem? And why are you specifically the person who I should hire to help me with this? Like that is first and foremost what any client is looking for before they're looking for your credentials or your specific trainings or anything like that. So it doesn't make you magically more attractive to clients. It doesn't give you the uh, ability to just suddenly make more money. Like if you're not making that much money right now, getting licensed doesn't mean that you automatically get a pay bump. It's if you're uncomfortable having a higher fee right now as a person who is pre-licensed, that typically doesn't just magically go away once you're licensed. My guess would be that if part of the barrier to you feeling like you can charge higher rates right now is because you are licensed, then once you get licensed, it's very possible that your brain will just come up with yet another reason for why you shouldn't be charging more money. Like you'll come up with a new reason. It might be like, well, because I really need more training and because of this and that, or like, Other therapists in my area aren't charging that much, so I can't charge it. My point is that there will always be, if you're afraid to raise your fee, you will always come up with a really solid sounding reason to not raise your fee because your brain just wants to stick with the status quo. It would love to avoid dealing with that fear and confronting that and just keep on pumping out reasons for why you need to stay the same. Another thing that I hear therapists talking about when they're saying, oh, when I get licensed, then I'll oftentimes it has to do with boundaries, like maybe they'll stop working certain hours, or they almost imagine that like clients just wouldn't ask for certain things anymore. And that's just not the case. Like there's nothing about being licensed where people will just stop asking for (laughs) appointment times that actually don't work for your schedule. They're not going to magically know what those are. They aren't going to care that you're licensed. They're not going to feel like, oh, I can't ask for that. And in fact, they shouldn't. I think people should always ask for whatever they want. And then we just trust each other to say no to to what we want to say no to. So basically your boundaries, how you feel about money, how you feel about marketing, sales, all of these different things, nothing about being licensed will automatically change how you feel about those things. It is up to you to begin to work on those things. Like whenever you're ready, I would love for you to do it before you get licensed. That way, when you do, you can really start to implement implement some of these changes. Um, But there's nothing really about getting licensed that is going to change how you feel about these things generally. I know it didn't for me. And also this idea that you have to wait till you're licensed to start having boundaries or to start charging more money is just such bullshit. Now, I get in some certain certain circumstances, like that truly isn't an option. Like if you're working at an agency, right? If you're working community mental health and you have your caseload given to you and you don't get to choose your clients and you're just getting paid minimum wage or maybe a little bit higher, like you truly do not have control over the structure of that organization, of course. So I totally get that there are some changes that you literally cannot make within that context. But for folks who are in 
in more of a private practice setting who do have the option to set their fee, then there really is nothing stopping you from making these changes other than you being willing to learn how to create a practice that would accommodate those changes. Now, if you are in an agency setting, I'm still going to talk about things you can do at this stage to help prepare you for private practice. So I don't want you to hear this and think, well, great, this isn't for me because I'm still in an agency and I actually can't just like raise my fee. Don't worry, there are going to be some things that you can do too. Something else that feels really important to mention, especially when we're talking about this pre-license stage, is I 100% recognize that you have whatever time and energy you have. You don't have some unlimited bandwidth. I remember when I was doing my training, I was working multiple jobs. I wasn't making a lot of money. I didn't necessarily feel like I had a lot of time to start making all of these changes. I was truly doing my best. And like, I did make a lot of changes, but there really were a lot of things that I didn't necessarily get into until after I was licensed. So I just want to say, I'm going to give you a bunch of recommendations, but you have to do what is right for you. And I also want you to give yourself grace around that. There are always trade-offs to make, and you could be dealing with your own personal limitations. We all have different limitations. Whether it's being a single parent and the fact that all of the child rearing is on you, or maybe you're dealing with chronic health issues, or maybe there's just the psychological weight of being maybe a single person and knowing that you are your only source of income. And like, yeah, it might be really nice to figure out how to market right now, but like, that's just not what you have the energy for. That is totally fine. I am definitely not here to make you feel bad about not doing enough during your pre-licensed phase. Not at all. You have to do what's right for you. And for the rest of this episode, I'm going to be giving you some different ideas of some ways that you can be spending your time and energy strategically to set you up for that post-licensure stage just a little bit better. And this isn't intended for you to do all of them. Although if you have the time and space and you want to, by all means, go for it. But I think this is really important to say that I recognize that you have whatever set of resources and time you have available and you get to be really discerning about how you use them. Knowing that this is really something you're going to be working on for the rest of your life, the rest of your career, and you really do get to keep on learning and growing. This isn't a one and done sort of thing. Okay, so now we're getting into these five things that you can do as a pre-licensed person to set yourself up for private practice success. Action number one is find a money buddy. (laughs) Money buddy. There we go. This is someone that you get to have really open, honest conversations with about money. Somebody who you can tell your fears, your hangups, your goals, your desires, your the things you're grappling with and trying to learn that you're confused about, that you can just be really honest and open with them about this. And the reason why this is so important, just like why I'm starting with money first, like there's so many different things I could have started with. But the reason why I'm starting with money first is because as a future business owner, you're going to have to get really, really intimate with your money. And therapists in particular tend to have a lot of hangups with money in part because of how we're trained, but also we typically have personal things around money. And I've talked to so many therapists who come from a background of not having money like myself and like having a lot of hangups and residual kind of trauma from that. And then I've also talked with people who come from really uh, wealthy backgrounds and like they also have their own money stuff. There's like a lot of guilt and shame sometimes, especially when they're people 
working in this helping profession. So the sooner you can start really thinking about and learning about and getting intimate with your own money stuff and doing that healing work, the better off you're going to be because this is going to impact how you work with money in your business, how you talk to your clients about money, how you have fee conversations. It's just going to affect everything. So it's really important for you to start spending time on this as soon as possible. So the way this happened in my life was very, very organic. I had a friend who worked in a totally different industry. She works in fashion and we have like some similarities in our background, but also a lot of differences. And one day I think she actually brought it up, which is so interesting to think about now because I'm constantly talking about money with different people. I love this topic, but back then that really wasn't the case. I was still pretty like nervous around money. Like I didn't know how to think about it or talk about it, just not feeling very good. So I think she brought it up and she was sharing that she feels super competent in so many areas of her life. But when it comes to money, she just feels so out of depth. And that was really weird for her. And she thought, I'm a smart person. I have learned so much. I am constantly challenging myself. And it seems really odd that there's this whole category that is just sort of been left out of the picture. And I don't want it to be that way anymore. And I said, you know what? Me too. That's great. I would love to be thinking and talking about that too. And so we started, we made an agreement that we would just be really honest with each other about money. And we became each other's money buddies. We were recommending books to each other and having really honest conversations about how much we were making and what our goals were. And that was just so great. It was honestly kind of similar to like talking about sex where it's like, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about this. And then you start talking about it. And it's this huge relief. Because you're like, oh, this is an important part of my life that I've just almost been acting like I could ignore. And clearly that's not working. So I would look for somebody in your life who you can make an agreement, like a conscious spoken agreement that you are willing, you're going to talk to each other about money and you're going to be willing to be vulnerable about it. And a great place to find someone would probably be in my Facebook group, Healing Money, which is a community for therapists who are doing this kind of work, who are building their private practices, who are trying to do it differently and break out of that good therapist conditioning. So that could be a great place for you to connect with somebody, another therapist who's on the same page and really have those conversations about money. There's also a free course in there called Healing Money, which you can watch and it specifically addresses the hangups, the hangups that are particular to therapists when it comes to money. So go check that out. That can be a really great start. And the other thing about this topic of money is just start learning, start reading things, start listening to podcasts, be a sponge, start to absorb this information. And then when you are educated around money, you can make wise informed decisions about how you want to interact with that. One of my big hangups about money was just, I was super ignorant. Like I didn't understand finance. I didn't understand a lot of things that are pretty standard. Like I knew nothing about like investing or saving or retirement or anything like that. I just felt so out of my depth and it all felt like so much. And what I realized is that I had kind of been putting pressure on myself to sort of already know things that I really just had no way of knowing. And when I readjusted my approach to a place of I get to learn about this. I am simply learning. I'm not here necessarily to even make decisions or try to get it right. I am here to learn and absorb information. And then once I have that information, I can see if I want to make some changes based on the new data that I have. 
And I'm also allowed to make some changes and then adjust. I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm truly allowed to learn. That has been such a helpful reframe for me around money. And it's also something I've applied to other areas of my life and of my business, in particular marketing. That's And you've heard me talk about this in past episodes. That's a place where I've really taken the attitude of I get to learn here rather than I have to get this right, right off the bat. So in terms of reading and learning, I want to give you access to my reading list, which is super robust and mostly books about money, to be totally honest, money and business. So grab that link in the show notes and you will get a plethora of reading materials to keep you busy for many cozy nights on your couch with a cup of tea. Okay, thing number two, expose yourself to business owners and other industries. Therapists have a weird way of relating to being business owners. Not every business owner has this. Go hang out with them. It is important for you to get to know people and other business owners who approach this in a totally different way. This is something I've been really interested in for quite a while. Like pretty early on, I started really seeking out information and experiences from other business owners like There's this older guy on my street who runs a glass shop. And like, I think pretty early on, I was like, hey, Vahid, tell me about your business. Like, how long have you been doing it? Like, what have you noticed over the years? And so often people are really happy to share their stories with you. Like, take them out to a cup of coffee, show interest. Like, these people have put their blood, sweat, and tears into these businesses. And we can learn so much from hearing other people's stories. I mean, obviously you like podcasts, like this is a live, I guess it's like a live podcast. That's really silly. So sit down with people, find mentors, talk with your elders, look for other businesses that you admire, business owners that you admire, and ask if you can talk with them. You may even find that someone is really happy to be your mentor. And at the very least, you can learn from their stories. Now, this isn't to say to like, expect that anyone is just going to become your business coach. And to be honest, they like probably shouldn't if that's not their actual job. But you can learn a lot from their experiences. And so often they'd be happy to tell you. You can also listen to podcasts about business. Again, this is a really great way to expose yourself to other viewpoints. I love the podcast, How I Built This. It's one of my favorites. I've been listening to it for years. Hi, Guy Raz, if for some (laughs) reason you ever listen to this. I love your show. But once again, I just think listening to other entrepreneurs tell their story helps me look at things in my business that I may have a kind of stuck viewpoint around and just completely reconsider them. So look for resources in your local community. In San Francisco, there's an organization called the Renaissance Center, which specifically helps small business owners, both people who are running service businesses and product businesses. And that's where I got to meet a bunch of local entrepreneurs. It's so cool. I actually just got an email from one of my buddies in there who he's so awesome. He like occasionally will host these calls for us where we just get together and catch up. And the other day I was walking through an alley in San Francisco and saw this mural and my partner was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I looked a little closer because I thought it was familiar. I was like, oh yeah, she was in my group at a Renaissance Center. And like, 
So I highly encourage you to look for local resources, go to meetups, meet with your local business associations. Not only will it help you start to learn about business in general and see different ways of approaching it, but it's also really great networking. You're contributing to your community, you're learning from your community, and that reciprocity is what can create a really solid foundation for you in your community once you do finally get to that place where you're accepting clients, whether that's as a licensed professional in your own practice or if you're pre-licensed and you're in the sort of setting where you can be taking clients. There's no reason for you not to be marketing right now if that's the case. All right, thing number three, practice saying no to the things you don't want. So this may seem really simple and maybe even a bit odd, But it's actually really important. When I'm working with therapists who want to raise their fees or stop working on weekends or anything like that, one of the things that they have to do is to say no to clients who do not fit what they are wanting to create. In order to get paid more money, you have to not only be able to attract people who will pay that, learn how to have those sales conversations, juice yourself up so you feel worthy of it. Not only do you have to do all those things, but you also have to learn how to say no when someone is saying, well, I hear what you're offering, but actually I don't want to do that. Could you do this other thing instead? You have to learn how to say no. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. We we talk about trying to get what we want in some cases, but we don't talk about how getting part of getting what we want is being able to say no to the things that we don't want. So once again, if you're in a place in your uh, training right now where you can't actually accept one-on-one clients, like you, you're not in that situation, that's okay. You can start practicing saying no in other areas of your life. If there are things that you've been saying yes to that you really actually want to be saying no to, then I would encourage you to look for opportunities to say no. The other thing that you can do is start asking for what you want. Again, probably sounds really, really, really simple, but my guess is there could be some things that you want that you're maybe not asking for. Maybe you expect other people to know what they are without you saying them. Maybe you expect others to know your boundaries and are hurt or offended when they don't uh, follow them, but actually you've never expressed them before. I, I mean, this is me. I've done this many times. It's been like a whole journey. Still do it sometimes, but so much better these days. And I remember that when I started asking for what I wanted in a really direct way, I felt like I had just learned magic because sometimes people would say yes, and it was absolutely blowing my mind. And I had this realization that, oh my gosh, I guess for most of my life, I just simply haven't been asking for what I want. And now in retrospect, looking back on that, I can really see why that was happening. I wasn't asking for what I wanted in part because I was afraid that people would say no or judge me for asking for what I wanted or that they would say yes when they really wanted to say no. And when I started saying no, when I wanted to say no, I also started to be able to trust that other people would do the same, which allowed me to feel more comfortable asking. So these two pieces really do go hand in hand. When you know that you can say no to what you don't want, you also start to kind of change your way of viewing the world. You start to see other people as capable of saying no. 
You learn to trust yourself and you learn to trust others. And it makes asking for what you want so much easier. I talk a lot about uh, BDSM and kink in my life as a metaphor. And one of the ways that that relates to this is that in the kink scene and BDSM scenes, there's a process of negotiating for the experience that you want to have. The people involved will negotiate. They'll have a conversation. They'll be really, really clear about what they want and what they don't want. And they either come to an agreement and they move forward or they don't. And it's no harm, no foul. If we both want the same things and this will be a fun experience for both of us, great. We get to move forward. If we have different interests, we want different things. I want this. You want that. They're not the same. Okay. So glad we had the conversation. This isn't going to be a good fit. We're not going to do the scene. And I think that neutrality of like, we're just here trying to have a conversation to figure out if we want the same thing. And if we don't want the same thing, that doesn't mean that they're wrong or I'm wrong. They're bad or I'm bad. It just means that we're not a good fit for this thing. And that's okay because someone else is. And so when someone says no, that you don't have to walk away from that thinking, well, I was, that was dumb of me to ask. I can't believe I just did that or what's wrong with me for wanting this thing. You also don't have to feel bad for saying no. It's okay for you to say, I just don't want that. Doesn't have to mean anything about you. It's just that it's not a good fit and you get to walk away going, okay, I'm just going to go look for the person who does want these things. It can be as simple and as neutral as that. So really do look for opportunities to practice saying no and asking for what you want. Thing number four, dabble in marketing, dabble in marketing, start marketing, get as involved as you want to get in marketing or as you have the space for. This is something that a lot of therapists wait to start doing until they're licensed. And this was something I largely waited to start doing until I was licensed. And to be honest, even after I was licensed, I didn't do a lot in this area, which is something, as you can see, I have changed significantly about how I run my coaching business. But now when I see pre-licensed therapists out on the internet talking about mental health, talking about their work, just sort of creating a bit of buzz and a splash, getting used to being visible, I love that. And if I had to do it over again, this is something I definitely would have done because I was so uncomfortable with marketing. And if I had started that sooner, I would be in a different place right now right? So the sooner you can start experimenting with marketing, experimenting with visibility, do it. And there are some limitations and restrictions for pre-licensed people or depending on how you're working. Like for instance, if you're able to see clients individually, you can of course have a website, you can have an Instagram presence, you can do different things like that. Always check with your local organization to see like what your options or restrictions are around marketing. But at the very least, you could be out in the world talking about mental health. There is nothing to stop you from doing that. You just have to be really clear about how you represent yourself and whether or not you're a licensed therapist. And that's pretty easy to do. It's not a big deal. So I would love for you to find ways to begin to talk about your work. And it could be something as simple as Find a way to talk about your work every day, to say what you do, to say who you like to work with. Or if you're in a position right now where you can't accept one-on-one clients, then you can say what you're looking forward to working with or the trainings that you're doing or the populations that really you're really excited about. Find ways to just start talking about it and then notice what comes up for you around that. If you're feeling uncomfortable, great. This is an opportunity for you to begin to work through those feelings. And once again, 
a safe place to do that would be in Healing Money. You can go in there and share with us and get support, or you could always like jump into Liberated Business, where then you'll get a lot more support around that throughout an entire year of membership. So go check that out if that is of interest to you. There's also a link in my bio around that. Okay, so dabble in marketing, challenge yourself, go get yourself out there. It's a great thing for you to be doing at this stage in your business because it is an integral part to running a private practice and you will have to do it at some point. So do not delay, (laughs) do not delay. And the last thing I recommend doing is to start your own coaching service or consulting business. I can't tell you how many times I have heard pre-licensed therapists say like, oh, well, I can't start coaching because I'm not licensed. Y'all, your licensure, your therapy stuff has absolutely nothing to do with coaching at all, at all. You can have a coaching consulting business before you get licensed because they're completely disconnected. Not only do they not have anything to do with each other, but they should not have anything to do with each other from an ethical and even sort of legal perspective. So I have encountered a lot of pre-licensed therapists who are doing coaching, like someone doing somatics coaching, someone who is doing sound baths. I've seen pre-licensed therapists who might be doing corporate gigs and doing trainings and teachings. Before I was licensed, I did a wellness training at a tech company here in San Francisco because I was practicing Buddhist psychology. I was really into meditation and wellness. And I was like, this would be really, really fun to like do a workshop around. And so it was out there looking for gigs to do this. That is totally available to you as a pre-licensed person. Once again, these businesses are completely separate. And so doing this before you get licensed means that you get to learn how to run a business. Now, granted, this is like a pretty a big endeavor, like, of course, compared to like reading a book, you know, like deciding to start an entire business is going to be more labor and time intensive, but it will be a really, really great experiment. And you're going to learn so much from it that you can then translate into running your private practice in the future. Obviously, they're going to be different businesses, as I've said repeatedly already, but a lot of the things that you learn are going to transfer and the sort of mistakes or hiccups or anything like that along the way that you get to work out in this business that you're creating will also really benefit you when you go to run your private practice. There are just certain things that you you can't know before you do them. Like someone could even tell you, but it's not going to be the same as you experiencing it and trying different things out. So if you decide to move forward with creating some sort of offer, you're going to learn tons from that and it's going to be so helpful. Okay, so now you have five things that you can start doing right now, even before you get licensed to help you start preparing to be a private practice therapy owner. And if you're already a licensed therapist or you're already running your private practice, but you're not doing some of these things like having a money buddy. I would highly recommend that you do it. If you're not already regular in your marketing, if you're still feeling really uncomfortable with that, yes, then it's time clearly to be focusing on that. So there's stuff in here for you, whether you're pre-licensed or you're a seasoned clinician, take what you need from this and let go of what doesn't apply to you. And please, please, no matter what, be gentle with yourself here. Remember, you get to decide what's right for you and be discerning about that. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope this has given you some ideas of things you can do right now. I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Please leave a review and a five-star rating if you found this helpful. I'll see you next week. 
That's all today for The Bad Therapist Show. Thanks so much for hanging with me. I hope you got some gems that you can start using right away in your own business so that you can break out of good therapist conditioning and build the business that you want. If you've gotten something out of this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with one of your good therapist friends who really needs to hear it. And while you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and or review so that we can change not just our individual businesses, but transform the mental health system that got us here in the first place. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week for more private practice and coaching tips. Remember, bad therapists make the best therapists.